0: And we're live! Wow. So much energy suddenly. Okay. Hey Olafur, nice to have you again. Hello, Tony. Nice to be here again. I see it like you're the guest, but you're the co-host. So it's like maybe maybe yeah, that was not the right thing to mm-hmm. choose here. So big update today. I'm wearing blue, Olafur is wearing white again. So we're kind of almost on track here. Um, quick one uh, to uh, maybe spend some time before we start with the actual content. So we have um created a podcast (laughs) i mean why not out of this kind of content uh right now i think the you can go to spotify and find it there under gtm live
1: go to market live
0: go to market live there you go um you can listen to some of the past episodes um and uh you know, we're still working out uh, when and how to publish the actual videos and so forth because pop- a couple of people have been asking us that. Um, a quick tease for next time. We are going to talk about hacking net retention rate next time. So this is next week. Um, and the guest lineup will be those wonderful gentlemen uh, as well again. Um, but today, we're actually talking about Agile GTM execution. yeah, And... Um, Obviously, kind of this is a mouthful in terms of, um, you know, words to be used. We had, you know, one session talking a little bit about, you know, Agile and GTM already. But, uh, you know, with all for present, we wanted to dive a little bit deeper in some of those areas. The the, the problem, the problem really that, you know, we've seen and that needs to do, uh, be tackled by, you know, this potentially different, different approach here is this typical waterfall approach of planning your year, uh, your year. Usually around Christmas, um, usually led by finance, usually because you need a budget and or an annual report and so forth. That actually doesn't make all that much sense in a commercial context. Yeah. So um, and then using that frame that's being kind of created around you in order to create something that you know will change. I mean, we have seen this many times, right? You create this, you create this plan, you lock in the budget, you shake hands, um, all of that good stuff. And then in Q1, it starts to become already a bit useless, right? I'm not sure kind of what your experience with some of this is all of for, but that, that's kind of part of the, the issue.
1: Yeah, and I think it's just extremely outcome-oriented. So the path of how we're going to get there and how much we need to get there, that is the thing that's usually fixed. And I think our logic here today is that you should fixate on the outcome, but how you're going to get there is going to, yeah. you know, should be more flexible, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think some of the issues that are coming with this kind of planning is that it's uh, it's set in stone, number one. And number two, especially on the commercial side, right, you know, spending money, so hiring people and so forth, that can be, uh, you know, planned out nicely. But on the commercial side, there might be all kinds of things that are happening that are external to you that you didn't even know would impact you, and you want to react to them. You want to react to them immediately immediately, if you try and do that by plan- changing the plan, usually you get like told off by the CFO. Uh, there's kind of a stigma almost around changing the budget, changing the plan. It makes the CFO look stupid because, hey, he should have been, she should have been planning all of this out perfectly. Um, and then there's kind of a natural resistance to, ah, you know, that's not much big of a change. Why are you doing this? You should, you know, stick to the plan. While this might actually not be the right thing to do, right? And all of those dynamics combined, they're kind of, you know, you know, screaming that there's a problem and they're also leading to not actually then ending up hitting the plan and or the best possible, you know, result, right? So it's not saying that everyone would hit the exact plan, but if you have some more agility and adaptability in there, you could probably maximize within that. So um, actually, you know, last bullet I had, you know, on my little sheet here, um, worst of all, who is gonna get blamed when the when the plan fails? Right, is it gonna be the CFO putting the plan together? We just had a conversation about something like this yesterday. In that case, it might be the CFO, um, or is it actually the execution team? And usually, it's the execution team. Usually, it's the guy said, oh, you know, the reps were lazy. You didn't manage that well." Blah blah blah. And um, you know, moving away from okay, Tony, cool, that doesn't work out. So what is it? What should be? What, what should you be doing instead, right? And and we we were very careful not to come up with uh, something new here. Instead, actually, we um, we went out looking for people that deal with uncertainty in the future and need to plan around that in a certain way. And we started to call those folks uh, people with skin in the game, <laughs> yeah. So people that actually have something to lose based on the outcome of the plan. And uh, for us, those were folks uh, that are working maybe in the military. Yeah, They have very much skin in the game, I would say. Athletes, skin in the game in the sense of like they're, they're winning and or losing based on some of the input. And then in the end, obviously kind of engineering and product. And this is where obviously we ended up adapting or taking this, um, uh, this agile term from, right? Instead of kind of doing the waterfall. And, you know, as a... Um, you know, example, we have this, uh, Mike Tyson, uh, quote, I'm starting to get tired of it by the way, <laughs> but it's, uh, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. Um, and, um, what we want to explore today are the similarities and, you know, then also therefore the similar ways of, uh, you know, agile product development, um, and how that could relate to managing through your go-to-market for the year. Right, kind of, we want to explore those two things. Um, And I have obviously Mr. Paulson here who, you know, who would have known you wrote your bachelor thesis about this, right? You're actually (laughs) an expert uh, in the field, Olafur.
1: Yeah, that was a pure coincidence. But but yeah, I think there was just uh, so much in Agile that I actually fully agreed with. And it has actually been used by uh, corporations. So, uh, just-in-time and all of those, there are some principles that have been taken from Agile and actually been applied in a business environment. And I think in SaaS and in RevOps specifically, this just hasn't necessarily sort of made its you know, way there yet. It's debut. Debut. Yeah. Debut. How do yeah. you say that? I don't know. Debut.
0: I'm from Germany. I don't know. Um, so the real question is, so maybe you know before we kind of dive into the similarities or differences, what is it actually that we're talking about? What is what is Agile? How should people be thinking about it? Uh, you know, wh- What is it?
1: I think at the very heart of it, Agile is <coughs> managing the uncertainties and the unknowns uh, yeah. in a more flexible way. Uh, in product development, the scope of what they're trying to build and deliver as an end product is usually pretty clear. This is, in our world, revenue. It's pretty clear what we need to achieve how will the scope of the project and the, what we're building change as we learn more and we start to execute towards the end result that we all want? And how can we take that new information and incorporate that into our expectations and how we're prioritizing yeah. and everything else? And uh, and I think this can be applied to Revolve in, in many different ways. Uh, you mentioned revenue planning. I think that's a very good, <laughs> good way of thinking about it because that is very waterfall. We're going to mm. plan the whole year and everything needs to happen like that, we mm-hmm. have X amount of hires, we yep. have X projects, and by no means can we change that hiring plan, because that would mean that, you know, we broke our promise to the board about how much we're going to spend. But at the end of the day, halfway through the year, you know a lot more than you knew at the start of the year, and how can you react to that? Yep. But you can also apply this to how you run uh, meetings in, in the company, how you deliver insights. Uh, I even went so far to kind of even organize the team, so yep. the RevOps team around it, Uh having our structure be meeting some of the cadences and the way that they operate it, sort of having uh, cycles uh, having reviews uh, doing post mortems so some of those uh, sort of key terms that come out of agile and scrum uh, kind of applying them also to how yeah. you organize the team
0: i think kind of one one key term that you mentioned there's really um, if you if you plan the year out uh, and you know in a waterfall fashion um, you literally uh, remove all the room you might have from new learnings arising, right? Yep. It's you plan the next twelve years on your current best knowledge, and knowledge in our case might be understanding other markets, you know, seeing where you know demand might be going, but also data coming in, right? Kind of data from your go-to-market systems and understanding your funnel, and you basically say, okay, you know, I'm I'm in the in the line here, looking from December thirty-first to January one. And from now on, I'm not going to use anything anymore for another year until we do another plan, right? Kind of if you if you really want to push it to the edge, that's that's actually the problem here, right? Kind of you so you locked yourself in, and from now on, we are not allowed to learn anything anymore mm-hmm. until we create a new plan, and that's going to be in 12 months from now.
1: Yeah, no, and I think at the end of the day, if you if you then ask that same CFO midway through the year, saying, "Hey, with everything we've seen so far, it looks like we are you know going to fall 10 percent behind our target." And you would ask, would you be okay spending a little bit more to ensure with what we now know that we can actually hit Target? If you phrase it like that, they might actually in most cases say, you know what, me overspending a little bit, but actually hitting the revenue target is probably on the balance more important than yeah. the rigidity of the budget, right?
0: Yeah, if he believes you, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And you know, maybe kind of going a bit off script here, but that's maybe kind of the point of this. But if this CFO actually believes you and yeah. you can say, we have a 10% gap. And it's not just this, oh, our leads are 10% behind, but hey, there's a revenue gap that maybe has materialized already or it's going to be here yeah. in just a little bit, my friend. Um, and we have those one, two or three measures that going to cost, I don't know, a million, million and a half yeah. um, or 10 million, whatever your scale is, in order to remedy that. If, if he actually buys that, if she actually buys that and, and it says, okay, let's, let's go for it, I think that that is a major kind of piece in between, right? Kind yeah, of the yeah. trust that you need to develop there.
1: Yeah, and I think overall this kind of going back to the Agile principle, it is really yeah. to just make sure that you are putting decisions to the earliest point in time where you can actually uh, know something with uh, past data and past understanding mm-hmm. to make a decision about what's the path forward going to look like? What's the best next step? Um, <clears throat> and again, I think we'll talk through kind of some of the major elements of that, but yep. uh, revenue road mapping is the first one.
0: Oh, how did you know that? today? Was it because I clicked the next slide here? No uh, I think the um, uh, I think what's really important is if you have any kind of questions or want to call BS or something like that, just kind of throw this out there. Bartis Bart is here helping out. Uh, if there's something that's super pertinent to an ongoing conversation, he'll he'll interject. If something is maybe for later, then that's what it is. Um, So really we're going to go through a couple of examples now and let's see kind of how much time we spend on each uh, of how an agile world might be mapping to a revenue or GTM world in this case, right? And the first one, Olaf, what could be the first one, you know, when you think about planning, you know, how how would you kind of translate that into agile?
1: Well, in terms of how you build up the revenue roadmap, um, and here revenue roadmap meaning something different than the budget. The budget Mm. is typically the broad outcome outline of what you are going to be allocating in terms of resources hiring will be part of that Um, but how do you actually from the bottom up really make sure that that is a realistic plan that is really coming from the make sure that when you're making that annual plan that you're taking a data set from the past that will give you the highest level of predictability for the future and At the end of that year, you should be looking back maybe six months, maybe 12 months, maybe three months. You have to figure out sort of what is right for your business. And then those should be the drivers that you expect for the coming year. So you're trying to use as much data from an appropriate time frame in the past to kind of anticipate what will happen in the future.
0: Yeah. But when I think about budgeting, by the way, what what I think is extremely flawed, it's a great tool, by the way, don't get me wrong. But what I think is extremely flawed is you have the revenue is the outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have the cost as the input. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing, how do those inputs actually translate into those outputs or yep. outcomes is, like comp- is basically nowhere, right? No, no, of, exactly. yeah, you don't have it anywhere. And I think having kind of a road mapping approach basically kind of frees you from this, oh, there's a cell in Excel where I need to kind of put in a number yeah. because it's actually not the number that's the problem. The problem is what, what are you going to do? Uh, yes, sure, it might be a higher, but it might also be a project, it might be something else that you want to execute. uh, And you want to have like a, you know, you could say a backlog of things that you want to discuss, right? You want to have an, maybe you want to have an understanding of how to uh, sort that backlog for like impact and, you know, things things you can actually execute confidently um, and then draw from that backlog, put it on the roadmap and then ideally see how you're hitting that revenue goal, right? That that is kind of a um, almost a more human way, I feel, to approach that problem. Instead of saying, okay, uh, five million in this month, for me that's, you know, what is it, uh, 50, 500 people or whatever it's going to be and they're going to do all of those 20,000 different things to then result in that revenue. It's very abstract, right? Kind of yeah. going at it with a, with a roadmapping approach. Uh, again, right, it's almost like a feature by feature kind of piece that then in the end results in something. Um, that makes it much more tangible and also uh, real and non-BS-y uh, yeah. when you then discuss it with a team.
1: Yeah, and there's also a good reason why you end up with, <coughs> you know, there's the board budgets, mm-hmm. and then there is the internal budget, and there might be a third one, uh, which is the operational budget. Like, I see that all the time. That's super common. And the thing with revenue roadmapping here is when you, let's just take an item such as uh, in my... Uh, Excel here, I put the historical conversion rate, that what I assume in the future, to be f- you know 15% instead of the average of 11. That is simply an item on a roadmap where, well, somebody needs to execute and figure out how are we going to improve that? How are we actually going to achieve that? Somebody needs to be given that responsibility to develop that feature, if you will, so that that actually happens. But usually that's basically where a lot of those things don't make it into a you know, a thing that the commercial organization is actually tracking, progressing yeah. against, and is being made responsible for. So I think this is where we're kind of putting together a very detailed expectation across all the spectrum of the channels that you have, the regions and the markets, mm. and understanding what you should expect based on data. And then if you improve, if you want to improve something, because that's the only way you're going to get to the top line with the resource you've been allocated, then. R- literally build that into projects and roadmap and, yeah. and figure out when you're going to be achieving it, when is the completion of the project, and you know, follow I the think, same logic.
0: I think on this point, actually, one kind of down-to-earth, really important piece that uh, you and I have been uh, holding dear, at least for for kind of the last 10 years, is really also the, uh, let's not expect magic. Yeah, yeah? And, and what does it mean? It's um, if you are starting to... Uh Uh-oh, you know, I kind of have this hiring plan. Even the uh, aggressive marketing plan is already put in. Uh, Let's start playing around the conversion rates. Let's start playing around with the ACVs. Let's start playing around with all of those massive levers. Um, That's usually when you're going to go the wrong direction. You know, this is what we sometimes refer to as magic, right? I think uh, someone else uh, uh, kind of uh, also kind of a modeling kind of guy was like, hey, I can hit any revenue number. Just tell me which acv to put it right kind of which <laughs> annual contract value to put yeah. it into you know the assumption sheet yeah. and you know whatever you want no problem i'll I'll hit it for you yeah. and i think this is this kind of like magic talk that will kind of that will completely screw you up
1: and i think the way i've seen it happen in in execution is really it is actually fundamentally flawed and, and broken the way that these things that st- can happen in, in very large companies um it is actually that the first point of starting is actually saying what is the number that everyone can commit to? And the CFO might go to the different departments and say, how much are you gonna take out of the total number? Mm. And people start claiming that they can maybe do four or six or whatever, and then they kind of tabulate all of that out until they fill that bucket of whatever number the organization needs. So now people have committed to a number, and then the resources discussion begin, and then he says, well, we have—you know—we can hire 100 people, we can spend X amount of money in marketing potentially, And then people sort of take those resources, whether they match that to the number that they claimed, doesn't really matter. And then the third part of that exercise is, well, with the numbers that people claimed and with the resources that we allocated, how can we now tweak the actual mathematics here to make sure that that still gets us to the top line? So it is sort of a very weird reverse engineering of uh, an intent to, to, you know, you you will basically make the waterfall look the way you need it to look without the reality check if it actually happens or, or can happen.
0: Isn't it fucking crazy that this is how so many organizations really operate? Uh, I mean, I don't blame anyone. Um, You know, I've been part of this process many times myself, but it's like, um, it's... Anyway, you know what? Let's, uh, you know, if we have a question on that, happy to kind of comment on this, just conscious of time, kind of moving along a little bit. So revenue planning, cool, 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 cool. um, But really it's, you know, that's not what's going to get you to target. That's not what's going to get you to the revenue. It's really the execution that comes out of this. So... We're going to spend a little bit more time on uh, on especially the meeting cadence and, you know, how you should be thinking about it um, and going through that actually in the next couple of steps uh, one by one. Um, so the first concept that we want to talk about is um, this this uh, daily stand-up rhythm that you have in Agile, right? Um, the idea is uh, you want to stand up because then it doesn't become a long uh, session, basically. Kind of that's why it's kind of not sitting down. It's a stand-up. Um, and uh, on the revenue side, you don't need that on a daily basis. I think that's a bit of an overkill. Uh, but we do recommend having you know check-ins or those stand-ups on a weekly level, right? Um, what are things that people should be discussing on a weekly basis?
1: Yeah, no, but I think that's kind of, <coughs> kind of taking it one step back. I don't yeah. think there's ever just a weekly cadence. I think what you should actually be assessing is, what are the meetings that we as an organization need to have so that we're communicating effectively finding out how to improve and how can we you know figure out what's going on and those cadence should be set at the level where you can have you know have that meeting at the earliest and the most frequent point in time where there's still new information available to you that's mm. actually at the core of it and then in some cases it's going to be a daily check-in yeah. on something and that might just be in a dashboard then where you click into and look at that with someone um And this is where, you know, if you're then looking at a forecast meeting, you might actually say that that should be on a weekly basis because the forecast is actually changing quite rapidly. Is it worth talking about all the deals and how they've fluctuated day by day? Probably not. But I actually had in some of the orgs I worked in, uh, I had forecasting meetings happening on a monthly basis. And this is just where you're robbing yourself of, you know, having four times to figure out what's going on, and then saying, "Hey, okay, we're actually now trending quite off." And how can we react to that? How can we create more deals? How can we increase the value of the deals we have? And really, that's what I've sort of come to understand is that you you should actually try to increase the frequency on every level as much as you can. Yeah. Do we have kind of a
0: rule of thumb on this actually? So I mean, I, I might might not think we have, but you know, really, what you're saying is you should be looking at the data. Whenever it makes sense, in other words, and as frequently as um, as these numbers actually end up moving, right. So we have high volume numbers. um, Let's just say leads created, MQLs created, uh, top funnel stuff um, that move maybe daily, right. Uh, Then I think you have uh, things that maybe only move monthly or quarterly, like your conversion rates, your ACVs, if at all, right. Sometimes they're stable for even longer. And then you have uh, other stuff in between, right? But that's kind of, is, uh, would you say that's the, that's the spectrum? Uh, super high volume stuff on your website versus conversion rates and then something in between?
1: Yeah, but <clears throat> I think actually also now us working with so many customers, we have actually started to think about it even more granularly, which is I always used to do quarterly business reviews and that's where I would actually analyze all the funnel numbers. And then you would have the, you know, the weekly forecasting and then you would have a monthly business review where you would look at the volume change over time. Uh, according to the plan, mm-hmm. but actually what you should also be doing maybe is for monitoring for funnel steps in the monthly meeting, but you should only focus on the high velocity funnel steps. Meaning when you go from a lead to an MQL, that's a very instantaneous, it takes a day or it takes two days or three yeah. days or four days. And for that MQL to turn into a meeting, that is absolutely something you can monitor for and make sure that it's in a healthy state. Because you mean the
0: conversion rate between those two points?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Um, and how many opportunities are being generated on average by the different teams. Uh, and that's actually where you know you have that. But looking at opportunities to close potentially in that monthly meeting doesn't make sense if you have a 90-day sales cycle. So you could still break out stuff in the funnel, let's just call it the top of the funnel, that has high velocity and high volume. And obviously then on the close rate, this is what you would focus on more in the quarterly. So this is
0: going to be super arrogant now, but uh, isn't it kind of funny how we're kind of uh, still kind of learning some of those new things coming in? I remember you and I having conversations of "Ah, conversion rates, you should never look at this, you know, maybe quarterly, you know, everything above is kind of an overkill. But now the learning makes total total fucking sense, by the way. It's like, well, if that conversion rate can change daily, uh, it does absolutely make sense to look at this, you know. I'm not saying daily, right? So, by the way, I look at data daily and it's not great. It's like looking at the stock market minute by minute. It's not going to help you. It's not going to change um, anything. <laughs> it's just all noise. Um, I still I still love the noise, though. Uh, but, you know, uh, something like that, a conversion rate in this specific case and a high volume piece, um, you know, might be interesting. And the, the funny thing is, right, if this thing is dropping off, um, you've, number one, immediately want to know, uh, because then there's a lot of conversions going to you know not go in the right direction, yeah. and you want to know who's responsible, what is responsible, go and fix it immediately, right? And you don't want to, you know, we're taking a little bit away from the presentation, but you don't want to, in 90 days from now, find out that the conversion today dropped, um, and then be like, oh, uh, we could have totally fixed that. It was the website that was down. <laughs> so, yeah. know, something. No, but it's
1: a typical example of, <clears throat> all of a sudden, you see in a QBR, 90 days past passed, Q2, you know, You hit the MQL number, you didn't hit the opportunity number, and you didn't didn't hit the revenue number. You see now, hey, actually, there was a slew of 200 uh, webinar leads that got classified as MQL because someone chose to do that. And now our conversion rate tanked. We thought we were actually trending because all the, you know, monitoring signals, which would be the amount of MQLs, actually was trending largely in the right direction. But now you could have spotted that, you know, in the, you know, in the first month of the quarter maybe when that was actually happening? Should we then put a stop to it so we don't increase that yeah. problem and have that conversion at the quarterly business review basically be off by, you know, instead of being off by 5%, can we make sure that it's only off by 1% because we only have one yeah. month of, you know, that mistake happening?
0: Okay. Um, so that's kind of the low-frequency stuff. Um, thinking about some of the longer-frequency stuff, right? Um And people sometimes call this QBRs, quarterly business reviews. Uh, So we're we're jumping a little bit, right? You could do something also on the monthly level, but uh, focusing like on the longer term stuff. Um, We actually started coming up with kind of a different term. We haven't found the right abbreviation yet, uh, unfortunately, but basically using retrospective as, as a concept here, right? Really splitting those two worlds of, uh, QBR usually where you blame people and then make you know haphazardly in the in the last five minutes some kind of decisions for the future, rather using those you know this time slot exclusively for looking back and understanding and calling it a, uh, a retrospective, which which aligns with some of the pieces coming out of the the agile side, right?
1: Yeah. No, and I think those retrospectives they're very much focused on process and. How do we work? So basically, identifying that something didn't go as well as it could have in the process of, you know, the last cycle, mm-hmm. last quarter. Are there some things there that are, you know, we have been doing continuously, and we will be repeating doing if we don't learn anything going forward? How can you take some of the DNA of how you create revenue and actually create some learnings, which you can then sort of say, hey, how do we fix that systematically, so that you can actually improve the health of, you know, your business going forward? It's less about figuring out that it was actually that one thing, you know, where we shouldn't have done that campaign. But actually, is there something in the way we decided to build that campaign and mm-hmm. thought it was the greatest idea ever to spend yep. that much money on it that led to us failing? And there is some, you know, gap in how we do the process of planning those things out. I
0: mean, we talked about on the revenue road mapping, you know, if you do it the waterfall way, you rob yourself of implementing your learnings. Yeah. If you want to have learnings, you also need time to kind of get to them. Obviously you're gonna be learning by doing as you as you go anyway, there will be these kind of things, but sometimes there's just a meeting, a forum, a way of looking at the world that's missing in order to have a conversation to kind of get to okay, actually we learned something here that we need to implement going forward, right? Yeah. And I think I think if you separate some of that stuff out, I think the stakes are a bit, you know, lower suddenly for the participants because very quickly it goes from it's your fault and you don't need to fix it uh, in, in, the, in the normal QBR, and this is like defense modus up high. Yeah. You just look back. You just kind of try and reflect, have a retrospective, try and understand, uh, which which by default is going to lower the defenses and the guard a little bit of everyone in the room, which actually will probably help you to have more learnings coming out of that
1: thing. Yeah. No, exactly. I think companies should adopt this way of... Of working for sure because it also is a very blameless forum usually you're no longer crying about the missed target that's not the purpose of that meeting necessarily it's actually mm-hmm. about identifying patterns of things that didn't go well and why they might not have gone well so that you can prevent those things from happening in the future and and this is really where also you will just have to have different purposes for the different uh cadences that you have so daily and weekly is very operational it is are the people doing what we said we would do? Are we doing the things we said we would do here and now? And then you have the monthly, and this is where you'll often spot some trends and you'll make tactical changes. So, hey, can we interject now and do something very lo- small scale? And then on the quarterly, you're usually talking about strategy or how are we going to recomposition the way that we're allocating resources or how are we going to improve our process of doing something mm. in a systematic manner? So it's really just assigning the right appropriate sort of purpose for all the cadence that you have as well.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. Learnings, right? Looking back, understanding, and now, you know, looking forward, right? Uh, we're talking about this as a separate meeting, which I think is a bit novel for many folks kind of listening. They scarcely maybe do a QBR, but, you know, oh, wow, now we're going to have two meetings. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, looking forward, um, how, how would you actually use that slot? What should be things you should be discussing um, and what would you think you should be kind of coming out with that meeting at the end of the day?
1: Yeah, and I think uh, this is where you should go back and recalculate what expectations you had in the in the plan, what was your expected conversion, what was your expected production? and try to understand, has there been more data, more recent data that tells you a different story? and should you then build up a future expectation that is potentially lowered or you know yeah. altered to some degree, right? We sometimes get in a bit of a fight about how you should do that yes, and how Yes, we should get often. into that fight. No, but let's
0: not. no, 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 no. The I think the 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 interesting tidbit here is at least you know uh, that was a little bit of an aha moment from my perspective, right? Sure, you have the the looking back, the retrospective. You discuss it, you learn something. All of that is great, but also simply fresh data mm-hmm. equals learnings, right? And if you, um, and we you know the the, the word here is rebaselining lining to a degree. If you see uh, conversion rates going differently than you thought they would. Um, it's a new learning, you know, you can't just you can't just, you know, push it aside. Uh, I think the big conversation that Olaf and I sometimes have around it, well, you know, no that that change. should you be kind of replanning your whole plan and you know, you need to go back to the board and all of that stuff? And no, uh, I, you know, I think we agree on that, right. But at the same time, you also can't completely disregard that fact that something happened here, right? And if you now keep executing in this one direction while having this new learning, it's kind of everyone in the room is agreeing like, yeah, we're going to do all of these things, but we're actually not going to hit uh, because of that and or other things. Right. Yeah. And then forcing this conversation and be like, OK, here's a gap. Here's a problem. Whether or not we reset everyone's compliance, you know, different, different conversation. I don't care about that. But here's a problem. How do we actually go about it? You know, let's just say it's a conversion rate. That's offering. This is our, uh, our go to example. Yeah. You know, that might mean, well, then we need to produce more of whatever was supposed to be converting. Um, And, you know, maybe that's a solution. Then the CMO gets a bigger MQL target. Cool. You know, how is he going to do that? I don't know. More money, maybe, maybe not. And then there might be, and this is kind of the, this is where magic happens. There might be other ways to close that gap at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. No, just because something is failing in one part of the organization doesn't mean you need to now go in and say, well, that outbound conversion has dropped by 2%. How do we now spend all of our energy figuring out how to increase it by 2% again? You mm. can actually just find a corrective you know, action somewhere else in the organization. And maybe it's spending more on marketing to kind of counter the fact that you're going to be underperforming in another revenue stream. Uh, but it could be really anything. That's really the whole idea is to, you need to look at the whole thing, really looking at the things that are also overperforming and saying, hey, why don't we double down on that, take some resources away from the things that are not performing yep. to plan. And that's where you're kind of rejigging. You know, you're not adding maybe more resources. You're actually just rejigging the resource that you have, so that you are more likely to actually get to the end outcome.
0: No, and I was just on a on a on a on a sales call with a kind of a CRO, um, and we we're talking about some of these pieces here actually. And really, the the conversation. And you know, whenever I use this like alignment word, I feel like dirty because <laughs> I think it's like a it's, it's, it's a it's a no word. Um, but it was actually kind of with him obviously it like resonated extremely strongly right because that is one of those issues you have all of those uh you know i guess different horsemen kind of i don't know i don't know how to finish that metaphor um but uh, going you know all kinds of separate directions um and then you know having a kind of hey this is what we're discussing um and it's not about blaming anyone but we as a team now need to figure out how to fix that problem that also just creates inherent alignment right and, and and inherent alignment is also the opposite of sales and marketing hating hating each other all the time right kind of those are those are some of the issues that probably everyone is seeing kind of happening all the time um creating a forum where some of that could just be lifted i think sometimes you call it kind of just take the oxygen out of the room or something, right. something like that, right? To yeah. uh, so like, hey, here's a problem. We don't know how to fix it, but here's a problem now, and now we kind of we don't have a choice but to fix it, right? We can't yeah. just walk away and be like, well, that's your problem. Well, no, it's it's all of our problem, right? And and uh, you know, having that collective uh, problem solving approach, you know, you need to have the right data that you trust and all of that jazz. But that is extremely powerful.
1: Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Sorry.
0: Um, yeah, and we have some kind of, um, <coughs> we have some kind of like keywords, right? We call it rebaselining, kind of big organizations call it like that. Um, but then there's also this continuous planning piece around it, uh, you know, implementing corrective actions and so forth. So I, I think we covered some of those areas. Um, we still don't have a great name for it. We call it maybe cycle planning or something like this, but that's, um, you know, that's another way of how to take an agile approach. Right? Yeah. So whether or not this is now the cycle plan for Agile or where you kind of go and rejiggle the roadmap a little bit because of new learnings, something might be delayed. It's always delayed, I feel. It's always delayed. Um, yeah. Or, you know, some other learnings being found um, that then kind of find their way back into a roadmap, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and this is maybe also a little bit connected to why I sometimes object to the word rebaselining because it, it implies in a waterfall manner that there is kind of a hard moment where you should be incorporating new data and then set all future expectations based on that old data as opposed to that being something where you're basically running the expectations of the future, the averages on the conversion, the production, and all of those things on a more continuous basis. And in some cases, things will be veering off, and we often use that in our analysis with clients is that we say something is very off here, but we're looking at it now over one or two, uh, one or two months, and actually this is just a monitoring uh, mm-hmm. thing. We shouldn't be now saying... Oh my god everything i learned from the past is now invalid because of 2 months worth of data we need now you know 10 more people to achieve the same result so i think it's maybe making those twists and turns a little bit more nuanced a little bit sort of you know it shouldn't be a whole replan happening yeah. you know with the same mentality why you shouldn't be optimally doing the full year plan you know it it it, it follows the same logic no
0: almost. again right if you if you really compare it to uh road mapping on the product side it's not like you throw out the roadmap every single time, and then build a roadmap from scratch. Yeah, you might rejiggle priorities because of new entrants or because something is pushed out or something like that. Yeah. If you if you squint at your Q1 roadmap and then the version that you have in Q2, it won't be the same thing, but there will be overlap between those two pieces, yeah. right? And timeline
1: will have changed. And so exactly whatnot,
0: right? right, but yeah. that's kind of what I mean. Kind of the approach shouldn't be uh, okay. Let's delete the Excel spreadsheet and 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 boot up another one. Uh, the approach is more nuanced and careful, and so forth, right? And yeah. and even in the product world, you have, um, you know, there's like a creeping feeling of, oh oh, uh oh, something's gonna change, something's gonna change, and it's gonna go on for a little bit until it like pop, and now it changed, right? And I think if you have that that kind of no nonsense approach on the go to market side without creating chaos in the organization, kind of that's kind of yeah. the other piece. Um, then I think you're you're by the way in the top one percentile of execution. Uh, at least from what we've seen.
1: Every company I have been exposed to so far in my career will to some degree have done replanning and they will make it into a massive thing and that is kind of its own almost rebudgeting exercise on every level. And that just means that you've basically known that there was a problem for a very long time and you waited until it grew to such a size that you simply could not even justify the annual budget anymore and you now need to recommunicate every single item on the roadmap. And that's where I think that that's an unhealthy way of doing it because you're basically lying to yourself for a more extended period of time until you then say now let's all sober up and let's build a completely new version of the expected outcome here, and that's sort of where often companies will do replanning and that is some, somewhat of an issue as well.
0: So I, I recently kind of did a, a, a revenue letter on kind of this lying to yourself thing actually. So uh, uh, you know maybe this is a plug join join the revenue letter. Um, <laughs> but why what do you actually think? Why are why are organizations Um, so prone to uh, lying to themselves in so many ways
1: all the time. Why is that actually? It's embarrassment. At the end of the day, that's actually what it is. It's embarrassing to state to someone, let's call it the board here or the executive team, we 100% believe in this plan. We are going to make it. And coming back two months later and saying, "Uh uh-oh, Maybe we need a little bit more resources. It takes away that confidence that you showed off, and everybody has to do that in the budget. That's what it is. And the further out that is, that's simply the closer date to where you know the moment of accountability is going to happen, which is, well, you're going to get to the end of the year, so you're at the same time trying to kind of push stuff out because you don't want to go into that meeting and explain to your your superiors that you were underestimating certain things or things are not going as well as you might have believed they would. And then on the other spectrum, you have there's a day of reckoning, and I need to do it before then. So this is what people, I think, in their hats are negotiating, and I think that's just human nature. That's at least how I've started no. I to think, think about I it. think I think you're right about it. I think calling it out kind of
0: sometimes kind of removes that. But I'm also sometimes thinking, um, you know, who who should be actually the, you know, someone needs to do the calling out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's um, and it won't be the CEO because he's he's part of the. The lying The pack. of lies. <laughs> <laughs> um. And and sometimes it maybe also, I mean, it, 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 by the way, it should be the CFO, kind of, you could say, right? The CEO is also kind of part of like, hey, we can get this done. I do believe there is a role for reverend ops to play. You know, I don't want yeah. to kind of overly push this in one or the other direction and kind of reverend ops over rev-ups. But, but there is a, hey, friends, I looked at the numbers. The numbers aren't good. Uh, yeah. We need to do something about it. Um and kind of uh, standing up and calling some of that stuff out, I think it's, I think is you know, one of the reasons why it's then so much easier for everyone in the organization to continue down this, this path of, um, uh, you know, oh yeah, no, we, we're totally going to hit, we're totally going to hit, we're totally going to hit. While everyone, and this is the crazy thing, while everyone already knows it's not going to happen.
1: Yeah. And who's... What's the team that's sitting the closest to the current world reality has access to the most amount of data at the most granular level can see things before others see it in a quarterly report? It is revenue operations, and they need to therefore be the truth tellers in the organization. And I truly believe that in some cases, revenue doesn't want to be that because you know you don't want to be the one pointing out things are going to fail, and you know there's very bullish uh, you know executives on top of you saying that we're not going to fail. But you actually will be seen as a more valuable person and a team if you are that function. Uh, you're the sanity check. Are the things that we all collectively are saying to people above us and to each other, are they actually happening? And above can be that function and should be that function.
0: Okay, let me keep playing this here. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you have questions, I think kind of now is, uh, is, is a good time. But uh, um, let me keep playing this. Um, so. There is a little bit of a, you know, once it's being pointed out and understood and shared knowledge that there's a problem, uh, it sometimes has this effect of deflating the pressure that is on people. Um, and by the way, a lot of CEOs and leaders think exactly like that. So this is, you know, you know, it has crossed my mind as well. Um, how how should people deal with? I mean, I'm not sure if you have an answer for this yet, but uh, what's your what's your perspective on that?
1: So your point is that. If you tell the truth and people realize that it's probably true, they will lower their expectations and therefore perform worse?
0: No, well, so the the number one is there's some, you know, if you keep believing or if you make everyone believe that, you know, you can go in this direction, you can hit that number, you have a bit more pressure on everyone, right? I think that's how people think about it. Yeah. Once you deflate that situation by like, you know what? Actually, we all know we can't hit this. Um, yeah. You know, uh, pressure deflated and everyone was like, whew, you know what, now I'm going to feel a little bit better when I fall asleep, but we're still not going to hit target.
1: And I think this is maybe where you and I also fundamentally differ as human beings. I actually... I'm just asking yeah, questions. No, Hypothetically. I kind all of don't know where, what your opinion is probably on this one, but I think at the end of the day, I don't believe setting unrealistic expectations on anybody is going to improve their performance. I often get the example of, Hey, my you know sales guys are not performing on the targets and yada yada yada. So we're thinking about increasing it by twenty percent. So you know if they still do eighty percent of what they do today, then they'll at least do more. Basically, giving them an unachievable target, as if that will somehow manufacture more or better results. I think we as human beings want to have uh, ambitious targets. We want to feel we can achieve them and that we're in control of that achievement. But as soon as you lose faith that this is actually realistic, then the target becomes almost like an enemy. Yeah. It is it is counter to you being more productive because the loss of faith, which hasn't been spoken about in this case before yeah. the resp- yeah, expectations yeah. have been set... Now everybody just starts laughing around it and say, you know what, yeah, we're gonna close twenty million in Q4 because you know, obviously that's gonna happen. I need to see people sort of start joking about it. Yeah. And that is way more poisonous than saying, Hey, I think, we yeah. realize something is going wrong here and we should but just let I, us I think there's
0: some kind of nuances kind of in those two approaches, but I totally agree, right? Once once people start laughing about a target, yeah, then it's like it's it's you're in the red zone. Something's kind of really not going in the right direction there. Um yeah. And uh, um, and obviously, kind of on the, you know, everything that's a little bit more systemized, so once you have data and understand, I think it's easier to clearly point out what is realistic and what is not. Yeah. I think where, um, where it is a little bit different, if if you have a new motion, if you have a new product, if you have a new something, mm-hmm. um, you know, you go into this with this expectation of, oh, we need to achieve this for this to make sense, you know, or, or we think we can achieve this and mm-hmm. then it will make sense. Um, I think there the the believability somehow is, needs to be then actually different, right? Because there's like, there's no path there. Um, and and I think those are the two spectrums, right? You have something that's very clearly data supported and it's like, okay, we're just being silly here versus there's a bit more of a belief system that sits behind it that, you know, might might not work out.
1: Yeah, yeah. and this is also where I truly believe RevOps should, <clears throat> you know, never be in the gut uh, decision-making business. That's simply not where they add any value. They don't have the experience. Yeah. They don't have the background. Uh, the
0: subject matter expertise not, in that area. That's
1: just not what it is. So if you don't have data, you don't have enough data to support a finding, then, you know, there is a famous saying sort of from an executive saying, you know, well, if we're not going to base it on data, we're going to use opinions, let's use mine. Yeah. And I actually think that's absolutely correct. The most senior most experienced person in the room now needs to rely on Past experiences, you know, those are things that still are valuable. I think that's why also RevOps, and we're just, you
0: know, riffing here maybe a little bit, uh, but but that's why RevOps is also such a great uh, entry role. So, I mean, we're seeing a lot of folks out there that, uh, you know, maybe, you know, two, three years into their careers, mm-hmm. kind of in RevOps, maybe not running the whole thing, but like part of it. Um, but because it's so data-centric and because it's so logic-centric, you um, you know, this those are tools that can be used of any um, seniority and or experience level. Uh, and suddenly, you know, you are operating on a very similar altitude, let's just say with some of the other folks. You, ha- you don't have the experience, you don't have the helpful gut feeling and maybe intuition and all this other stuff, uh, but you do represent one thing that equals that, at least, you know, to a degree, which is then data and logic. And bringing that to the table is um, awesome and can also be done by junior folks, honestly, right? So, this yeah. is not something that uh, you need to have built up over 20 years.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that power that comes with data and being the objective voice, you can state things with certainty because you have data to prove it. I sometimes, early in my career, got a little bit too high and mighty for my own good, kind of knowing that I was the no, truth teller in the business. No, Olaf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've nope. totally
0: outgrown that disease, my friend.
1: <laughs> no, but I was sitting in a room and I was talking to, a, I think it was an inside sales manager who had been on the, you know, in the role for probably the last 10, Was it Anton? Months. No, it was not Anton, it was someone else. <laughs> and I was sitting there talking about how you should conduct uh, training sessions and one-on-ones and I was like, and then i think about it now it is so ludicrous that i should be in that position to tell someone like that because i've never managed an inside sales team <laughs> you know at that point in time i had never even been in sales sales myself i came straight into revops this is where i started and that's where you kind of need to just be very conscious of what you're uh, <laughs> what you're doing
0: yeah when you see the face ne- you know in front of you dropping it's like it's a good sign to shut up. Now. Yeah, exactly. If you don't have data, stand up, don't walk out. It's know. fine. I it's think fine. that's
1: that's uh, a, a good sort
0: uh, of. And by the way, kind of a, a Forbes or Inc. Uh, article is also not data. You know, it's. <laughs> <coughs> okay, uh, I'm actually not sure how we're doing on time and or on questions, but uh, um, you know, if if they're not more questions, we can also uh, uh, you know let this you know slide out slowly. Uh, Olafur, thank you very much for, um, uh, I guess, co-hosting with me. I'm not sure why I'm thanking you for this. Um, But obviously, kind of riffing on the topic is awesome. We like this whole uh, agile approach to GTM. And we see people could totally benefit from it. Whenever we talk about people nod a lot and be like, that totally works, Uh, really difficult to execute. That's usually what we see. So I hope uh, this helped maybe a little bit with that issue. And... um, Yes, next time it's gonna be hacking net retention rates. Uh I mean also really cool topic, looking forward to that. And um, yeah, enjoy your week until then. See you see you next time folks. Bye bye.